You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. Three years ago, my wife told me that she wanted to go to Arkansas and visit the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville. It's an amazing museum founded by Alice Walton, daughter of Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart. That said, I thought, why go all the way to Arkansas for just this museum? But before writing it off, I decided to investigate if there was any mountain bike opportunities in Arkansas. Now, one thing I've learned over the last few years is that pretty much every community has trails. But after doing some investigation, I discovered that Arkansas not only has trails, they have amazing trails. And like so often, if you have amazing trails, it's because of the hard work of an amazing community. So this episode, we're gonna explore one of those communities and see just how they created such an amazing riding destination. I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 19 of Frontlines. My guest, Brandon Pack, is the executive director of the Ozark Off-Road Cyclists, located in Northwest Arkansas. Hi, Brandon. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brent. How are you doing? Excellent. So what makes Arkansas so great for mountain biking? Man, I think uh, the secret's out, right? We see Arkansas quickly becoming a mountain bike destination for the Mid-South. And that can be attributed to a lot of things, right? I think year-round riding really starts to separate Arkansas from some of the other uh, mountain bike destinations across the country. Um, We have two really great mountain ranges in the Wachita's and the Ozarks. Both of those are home to several large trail systems. We have five Imba Epics, um, great topography, you know, lots of rock. We like to build rowdy trails, so there's a fair amount of technicality to our trail systems. And man, really that year-round riding, that's the, I mean, just have, we get four seasons, which is super rad, and they tend to be really mild. So sure, we get a little bit of snow, we get some rain, we have a couple hot days, but those are kind of the, you know, the exceptions and not the rule. So typically, we have very good riding conditions 12 months out of the year. I mean, there's not a month in the last 12 that I wasn't on my mountain bike in the right conditions outside riding. In January, you held the 12th annual Buffalo Headwaters Challenge in Red Star, Arkansas. How successful is an event that takes place in the dead of winter in what looks like the middle of nowhere? So the the annual, you know, Buffalo Headwaters Challenge ride, it is in Red Star, Arkansas. Um, It kind of is in the middle of nowhere and it is right in the middle of winter, but it's supported by this really amazing community that really... Um, live minimalistic lifestyles. They're not a large community, but they have a community school. It's really a schoolhouse that they built themselves that creates a platform for us to host this type of festival weekend. And it's borders with an Imba Epic trail system, which is the Upper Buffalo Mountain Bike Trails. It's a ride, not a race. Um, We like to say winning is just finishing the highlight of the weekend is a 40 plus mile ride we deem the challenge the challenge ride 
And it, it is exactly that. It's thousands of feet of elevation gain. It's that backcountry mountain bike experience, right? And we use that word a lot, experience. But it's really that backcountry experience that people are wanting to do, but maybe they're not ready for that. Because that takes, I mean, there's a level of preparation and, you know, you have to be able to self-support yourself if you were to go out there on your own, right? But we create a setting to where there is that support and you're out there with what we we like to say it's 500 of your closest friends. So you, you can go get that type of riding experience, but know that if you have a mechanical or, you know, if you bonk or something, someone's going to be there to make sure that, that you get off that trail system and get back safely. Um, there is some things that make it really unique, man. We have, you know, you're, for example, you're 15 miles into a ride and you've just done this two mile climb and you get to the top and you start to hear music and stuff and you get up to the very top of this climb and there's a damn party going on <laughs> and it's neutral bike wrenching. We have a bike shop there that's wrenching. If you've had some mechanicals or your bike's not working right, we're going to fix it. There's beverages and hydration of all different kinds. People are cooking like hot dogs. They're making marshmallow s'mores. I mean, all this is going on in the middle of this backcountry riding experience. And it's those kind of things, like taking the race element out of it. We're seeing more and more that when we remove that race element, and we get like double the turnout. People are looking for this festival type setting and this kind of, you know, that community being as supportive as it is and the location to that Emba Epic trail system really creates that, that unique experience. How engaged with mountain biking are local land managers out in Arkansas? So Arkansas, I feel, you know, we feel is, is very unique in the sense that when it comes to land managers, and I'll start with, you know, state parks, right? Because they are a large land manager um, for the state, as most states, they got 50 plus parks. They, along with tourism, recognize the value of mountain biking for the state, not only in the, you know, for the health of Arkansans, but for a tourism aspect. If you open any um, major bicycling publication, there's a good chance right now there's a full page ad that says, come mountain bike Arkansas, and that was paid for by state tourism, right? They, they recognize the value of mountain biking. We have mountain bike trails at 11 of our state parks right now. I think there's four more in the works. They're wanting to add trail to the existing 11 trail systems they have. They just, they see the value and the, you know, the lifestyle that it creates for the citizens of Arkansas. And then from state parks, now you have these cities and municipalities that they too are starting to recognize that the, the quality of life, right? We're starting to all kind of use that, that term and associate it with mountain bike trails and multi-use trails. But it, they're starting to see the value in these multi-use trails within their communities. And so before, where organizations like the Ozark Off-Road Cyclists would be reaching out to these cities and advocating for these trails, and not that we still don't do that, obviously, on a regular basis, but now the cities are calling us. They're saying, hey, we want what other people have. We want to be a part. We want to offer that type of recreational amenity to our citizens. Can you come talk to us? Can you come help us? So we you know, foster the growth of these urban trails within our cities now because, and the, the ask is gone because they're now calling us saying, hey, we want to be a part. And so now you have, you know, from a state park down, you have your state parks and you have your cities and your municipalities, everyone recognizing the value in these trail systems for Arkansas. 
And then you have strong organizations like the Ozark Off-Road Cyclists. There's several others across the state that are really established, and we've been you know, advocating for these trails. We have the volunteer base. We're maintaining the trails. And so we're finding that organizations like ourselves can sometimes be the missing piece for these cities who have the advocates within the cities. You know, they, they have the people and the citizens standing up in, in, the, in the, uh, you know, the monthly meetings at the city hall saying, hey, we want mountain bike trails. And so just, you know, with our knowledge and, and what we've been able to do over 20 years, when you kind of add us to that, that nonprofit and, and add us to the, to the puzzle, it, sometimes it's just the last piece to make some of these trail systems a reality. And then, you know, to cap that all off, we have some amazing philanthropists and foundations that they too recognize, you know, what a mountain bike or a multi-use trail means to the community and so there's some private funding available. So you have, you know, you have everyone bought in from the top down. And I think that's what starts to separate, you know, Arkansas maybe from some of the other communities that they have these, you know, they have these passionate people and they want to get this stuff done, but they run into these little roadblocks. And so when we hit these, what would be a roadblock for other states, those are just kind of little bumps in the road. And because we all have this big vision and we all see this big picture for what Arkansas can be, we kind of get over those and we move past those and we keep working in that same direction to make you know Arkansas a regional destination in at least the Mid-South. So with the most recent IMBA World Summits taking place in Bentonville, a lot of folks are, are suddenly aware of what's happening in Arkansas, but, but Arkansas has had a history of mountain biking that, that goes back to, to 1988. What happened so early in Arkansas? Well, like, like you said, I think the secret's out, right? The IMBA Summit really did an excellent job of putting Arkansas and Northwest Arkansas specifically on the map, right? The secret's out. But that said, you know, there's, it goes back so much farther than that, right? Mountain biking in Arkansas started really around ni- in the late 80s, 1988. And I can tell you a little bit about the story. There was a couple of state parks employees, Tim Scott and Wally Sherry. And at the time, this is almost 30 years ago, they approached their boss about this mountain bike thing, right? So mountain bikers were starting to just kind of trickle in and show up at the state parks. And they were like, hey, you know, we want to ride. And so now they had this this new user group and they didn't really know what to do with them. So they got their boss to okay them to travel to Crested Butte to attend the Fat Tire Bike Week. And this was, had been going on for two or three years in Crested Butte at the time. They gave them $40 each for the entry fee, and they gave them a state park vehicle. <laughs> they camped above Crested Butte because, so they didn't have to pay parking for the festival, and they would actually ride their bikes down to the festival each day. I mean, they did this on a nickel and dime at a time that, you know, the, the state parks were really underfunded, and traveling out of the state wasn't common for state parks employees, Right. So they participated in all the events, and this is in the late 80s, so it's, it's all the, you know, it's the limbo and, and all that fun stuff that we see go on at festivals, and they took really good notes, right? And they brought that back to Arkansas, and now they had this decision about what to do with mountain bikers. And, you know, when other states were banning them or didn't know what to do with them, they opted to encourage mountain bikers in the state parks and manage this new park user group by embracing it setting some rules and teaching mountain bikers about user conflict and you know kind of some of the rules of the trail how to go about you know acting on the trails on your mountain bike and so 
they hosted the first ever, we call it the first Ozark Mountain Bike Festival. It's still ongoing. We just did our 29th year. Um, that was held April 1st of 1989 at Devil's Den State Park. Um, Fossil Flats Trail, which is still at Devil's Den State Park, is accredited as the first official mountain bike trail in Arkansas. And we've been riding and building trails ever since, man. Um, the state has grown to embrace mountain biking and mountain bike trails. Tim Scott is still working for the state parks. He's the assistant park superintendent for Devil's Den. He's still very much involved in the mountain bike scene. As a community, we refer to him as the godfather of Arkansas mountain biking, and it's very true. I mean, this man is, um, he will be a, a legend and part of the lore of mountain biking in Arkansas. And Devil's Den is the birthplace of Arkansas mountain biking. And that's just, as a community, um, we recognize that, man, that's, that's kind of where it all started. Yeah, I mean, it's... 1988 and and for for that to you know really start to take shape in in 89 and to have a festival and 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 you use the term you know managing this this new user group uh, i think that's that's fantastic and i think for a lot of a lot of listeners it's refreshing to hear that because uh, some of us still work with land managers that haven't yet come up with an official plan for mountain bikes, you know, we're, we're fast forward to 2017 and, and, you know, I know one of the, the big land managers uh, here in British Columbia, they, they haven't really even talked about mountain biking in their master plan because when they created with their master plan, mountain bikes weren't really around and, uh, and they haven't had a chance to update it since. Right. So it's, it's nice to hear that all the way back, you know, in, in 1988, that, that, that term managing of this new user group was, was being utilized by the state parks. It's, it's, it's really great. Now it was normal in Arkansas though, to, to have to drive a good distance to, to get to trailheads. You know, you, you drove an hour to go for a bike ride, but that's since changed a lot. And, and that's owed, primarily or, or quite a bit to the Ozark off-road cyclist. And, and the group is actually celebrating its 20th year. Uh, how did things get started with your club? You know, we are, we're excited to celebrate two decades. Um, we have a, a playing in the dirt, right? I mean, cause that's, that's essentially what we're doing. We're going out and we're maintaining, we're building trails, we're, we're riding our mountain bike trails. And so we use that kind of one of our, our taglines is it's two decades of playing in the dirt. Um, you know, ORC, you know, I think kind of going through that question is, you know, we did, you know, years ago, and, and this is probably common for most people, and, and if they were around the scene 20 years ago, was you probably drove to a trailhead, and that was just part of mountain biking. It was an hour or two drive to go ride your bike. And as an organization over the last 20 years, we've been able to foster and grow these more urban trails where they're within city limits. That's still that amazing experience where you get out in these park properties or these city properties and you have, you know, you're a mile in and you don't even realize you're in a city anymore. And so we, I think that there's been some really key players over the years that saw the value in designating green space, as well as, as building some of these trail systems that really kind of solidify some of those properties. So versus, you know, and we all know that, you know, trails, most trail systems were built back in the day, very, we use the term rogue or just, you know, kind of social trails. People just go out and bushwhacking and building trail because at the time there wasn't really an established mountain bike scene. But what we've seen is some of those, even those early trail systems have then been adopted as official park properties and different things. And I know this is probably common in other communities, but Ozark Off-Road Cyclists and some of our members, you know, back in the day, that's how some of the trail systems were getting established. But those early conservation efforts, and I call them conservation efforts because 
At our core, we are conservationists for land. We just happen to do so by advocating for recreational opportunity and soft surface trails, right? There's park properties in place today because mountain bikers went out and built trail 20 years ago, right? And those trail systems are still there and going to be enjoyed by generations to come because of that right there. That's recognizing and being transparent about our history, right? We all, I mean, any established um, advocacy group towards mountain biking, if they've been around for any amount of time, man, there's a lot of rogue trail riding going on back in the day. That's just how we, you know, that's how we had access to mountain bike. It's just amazing to see now a lot of those trail systems be adopted by communities and now really be a draw not only for tourism, but for a quality of life for their citizens. And organizations like the Ozark Off-Road Cyclists have created a lot of that, right? That urban trail setting, you know, once we were, you know, kind of started to see the value in that, um, you know, as an organization, you know, we started over 20 years ago out of a bike shop. I think that's probably how a lot of organizations that have been around probably got their start. It was, you know, we had a group of local riders that were just, you know, they were hanging around the bike shop because that's what we do, right? And they started talking about a mountain bike club. And, you know, the difference in those arc off-road cycles is at the time, a lot of these clubs were forming out of the race scene, right? It was very race-driven. But from the early on, the guys that started this organization, it was a riding club. And that kind of that separated us from some of the other organizations that were popping it up. You know, we encouraged just more participation. Um, we wanted to get more trail access. You know, it was really inclusive, not exclusive, right? We wanted to be a riding club. And so... On a rainy night in February of 1997 in Fayetteville, Arkansas, a small bunch of small group of rowdy dudes got together and formed the Ozark Off-Road Cyclist. So that's uh, <laughs> it's kind of how we got our start and kind of some of the early, you know, ideology about why this club, you know, was needed. Early on, we adopted trail maintenance and trail building. Um, I think the, the initial leaders of our organization saw that need in the community as the mountain bike trails were starting to grow, that someone had to take care of them. And so as an organization, we adopted that philosophy of taking ownership in the trails, not only building, but maintaining the trails we have. By 2003, we had built 25 miles of trail. We were maintaining over 100 miles. And now that's, I mean, I, it's countless at this point. Um, we, our volunteers build and maintain hundreds of miles of trails across a quarter of the state of Arkansas. You know, what started in Fayetteville, Arkansas has grown to now, you know, encompass 25% of the state. You're an IMBA chapter, but you also function as, as sort of a, an umbrella yourself. You have five branches and, and who are these branches and, and where are they located? So we do, we have, you know, we have a, a branch concept. It's still early on. It's, it's two or three years old in the making, but it's been really successful. And what that is, is, you know, as an organization that's as established as ours, we were able to start to identify the need for an organization like the Ozark Off-Road Cyclists, even on a smaller scale in other communities, right? And we see these established advocates, the, the communities have these key people, the passionate people we're looking for already there and they're they're going to their their city meetings and they're going to the town hall and, and they're looking you know to better their own communities and the quality of life of their citizens and what we found is by empowering them with our 501c3 with our 20-year brand recognition by holding a public you know meeting where we can elect those passionate advocates into a role and empower them 
and give them a, a voice and a, and a pretty much an immediate seat at the, t at the table when it comes to, you know, advocating and having those meetings and the stuff that's necessary to really kind of drive mountain biking in a community, you just, you got to pull them all together. And that branch concept has just been really successful in doing exactly that, right? You get, you get immediate, you know, recognition by using the ORC brand, the 501c3 that we have. They have, you know, paid employees like myself as executive director to help foster the growth very organically. And I, and I say that word because that's really, you know, we grew organically. It took us 20 years to get to where we are. We don't expect these smaller communities to just overnight be like turnkey and ready to go. But we're there to kind of foster that growth organically by pulling them together and empowering them and giving them a unified voice. We see it's a game changer. They make an immediate impact where before you had, you know, sometimes there'll be a little bit of infighting. You have these different user groups. You got all this stuff going on. All the passion is there. All the people are there. You just got to get them in a room. <laughs> and once you get them in a room, man, a small amount of people can make a big difference for community. You mentioned something to me last week when we spoke, and, and I, it really stood out to me. You said, we grow volunteers at the same rate we're growing trails. How do you do that? I think we want to be growing volunteers um, at the rate we're growing trails. And what that is, is as an organization, we recognize that I mean, we have this boom in trails, and it's amazing, right? It's a blessing. We have this, just they're, we're building it by the mile by the day. But if at some point we don't take a, a step back and, and really kind of focus our energy on the advocacy piece and really to make sure that we're fostering the growth of the volunteer trail advocates at the same rate we're growing these trail systems, at some point that model is going to break, right? This year-round riding experience, you know, one of the reasons we have that in Arkansas is because we have this established volunteer base that helps maintain voluntarily keep these trail systems open year-round for everyone to ride. That's part of that recipe. That's part of what makes, you know, Arkansas so successful. And if we don't, you know, foster that and look for ways to continue to grow those volunteers, then at some point, you know, we could find ourselves where, you know, maybe it's not the great best experience. You know, you ride two miles in and we've all probably rode trail systems like this. You get two or three miles in, you've been getting hit in your knees by weeds, you're covered in ticks and you're like, man, and that's not the experience we're looking to create, right? That's not what we're wanting to do. And so, you know, as an organization, we're, we're doing what we can to really kind of make sure that our volunteers and volunteer trail advocates in our community are getting some recognition. And it's it's not in dollars. It doesn't have, you know, it's, it doesn't equate to that, but it's more of just making sure that they're identifiable. So we have some pretty simple programming we've put in place. Um, a lot, the first is built around what we call a builder sticker, which is literally simply just, it's a little sticker. It's pretty rad looking, a little shovel and stuff. They can stick this on their top tube. They can stick it on their helmet. Every volunteer opportunity they show up to, they get one of these stickers. And then the other part, and that recognizes them and thanks them for their volunteerism, even on just that littlest seven cent scale, right? But then the other part of that is then educating the rest of the public that if they see someone out there and they're rocking one of these stickers on their helmet or on their top tube of their bike, thank them, tell them thank you, because those are the people that are voluntarily building and maintaining the trails that you're out there riding. And I think that'll go a long way towards just making sure those guys feel appreciated. And, you know, volunteers don't show up for, you know, they're not looking for immediate, they're not there for recognition. I mean, that's not what they're showing up for. But at the same time, 
a high five to some dude that's just busted his butt for four hours working on the trail so you can get out there and ride it, that goes a long way, man. It really does. Um, on top of that, we, you know, we continue on. We've got some cool 20-hour recognition, some 40-hour recognition throughout the year, really just trying to make sure that the people that are out there making a difference are identifiable in our community. You know, it, it sounds like that's a great way to kind of uh, to stem off that uh, that volunteer burnout that uh, that a lot of clubs suffer from. Are there any other things that you do to try to prevent that volunteer burnout from happening? I think like any organization, we have definitely learned some lessons over the years, right? We ourselves have, if we haven't suffered from volunteer burnout ourselves as leaders in an organization like this, <laughs> I think we've seen volunteers get burned out. And so, yeah, we've adapted and we've adopted and, and we've changed to make sure that that the volunteer, you know, when you come out to volunteer, it's an experience that you're giving back. You're leaving a legacy. You're making a lasting impact on your community, but you're doing it in four hours. And so we limit those volunteer experiences or those volunteer opportunities to four hours. I mean, we've taken work kind of completely out of our vocabulary. They're very family friendly. And you get a mix, you know, you'll have some more experience, less experience, but you need that to really continue to, you know, foster the growth of future, you know, volunteer trail advocates and future trail maintainers. And, but I think by creating a setting that's inviting for everyone to come out, everyone can come make a difference, but limiting it to a fact that, listen, four hours of Pulaski, anything over that, that starts to feel like work, man. And so we want, we're very hypersensitive and aware of that. And we want to make sure that if you come out and you volunteer with the Ozark Off-Road Cyclist, you're going to have a great time. You're going to make a difference and you're going to want to come back. So your position was created about eight months ago. It's a paid position. Uh, is this the first paid position that the club has had? Yes. Again, that's, you know, talking about growth of our organization over 20 years, about 2015-ish. <laughs> we sat down and did a strategic planning session, which I think is important for any you know nonprofit or any cycling club or anybody that's kind of on that press that cusp of seeing growth in their community really at that time is a good time to take a step back and kind of see where you're at because we recognize that we could keep doing what we were doing on you know on the scale that we were doing it at or we could position ourselves to grow with the community and that's kind of where the branch concept came out of and we started to develop that branch concept and another thing that came out of it was recognizing that that volunteer model that an organization of our size having the impact that we wanted to have strictly ran by volunteers wasn't sustainable and so if we were going to continue to grow that we needed to um, find a way to bring in paid employees and the executive director was the first on that list. How valuable is it for a trail association to have paid positions? Man, it's a game changer. It's an immediate game changer. You know, all those things that you sit around and you talk about and, and you pipe dream, and some of them are some of them are very realistic goals, and you simply just run out of time. When you take that time element away, which is the biggest, you know, fight you have as volunteer leaders of an organization, when, when that's taken away, you can execute on all this stuff that before you just knew needed to happen and all, and you just, you just ran out of time. And I'm not saying we don't get backed up, but man, we don't run out of time like we used to. And some of these projects, I mean, I'll give an example. So small little project, really impactful project in Fayetteville, Arkansas. It's called Gregory Park. It's a 19 acre park. I'm not talking like a 
a big park infrastructure. But if you were to drop a pin on Fayetteville's Midtown, it is right in the middle of town. It's two blocks away from a junior high school that has mountain bikes and nowhere to ride them. So we saw how impactful a multi-use trail system, even on a small scale, could be at this little park. And it, the, the park has been around since the 60s. It had like this 0.6 mile, little really unsustainable fall line hiking trail on it. So in October, we approached the city. Literally, I've been in this role for a month at that point. Within a month of being in this role, I was able to put together a proposal, put it in front of the Parks and Advisory Board, get it unanimous, unanimously passed, not just for a new multi-use trail for hikers, bikers, trail runners, dog walkers, but we included infrastructure including like cycling optimized flow lines, beginner and intermediate, a pump track, a skills course. So now within this little 19 acre park property, we have everything we need in this midtown area, which is full of rooftops, as close as it is to that junior high, it's always going to be families. That's who's going to, that's who your user base is. And it's going to do nothing but create a platform for kids to get better on their bikes and they get to do it right in their own neighborhood. And that happened, and, and again, we were we, we were sitting on this since 2014. And with, within a month of having a paid position, we were able to get this thing greenlit, and by December, we'd broke ground. And that's the difference that a paid employee can have to an organization like the Ozark Off-Road Cyclist or any of those of those across the country. We're all sitting on some really good ideas, but we're all fighting time. So if you can find a way to start to transition to maybe bringing on some paid staff and find some funding, man, again, immediate game changer. Yeah, and, and for you guys, you I mean, you came up with a plan. It, it didn't certainly didn't happen overnight, but but when you made the move, when you kind of pulled the trigger, it was it was for a, a full time position. Do you do you think there's value with clubs kind of starting small, maybe with with a, even just ten hours a week type position? Absolutely. I mean, anywhere. You know, any anywhere you can have that ability to bring someone on, even in a in a part time role, you're still going to see that immediate impact. You're going to have those people there that can focus their energy on some of those priorities, programming, and projects that you're wanting to see through. They can go to the meetings at two o'clock in the afternoon with the city, right? As a full time employee, and then as a volunteer leader of a of an organization, we know that a lot of those times. That it's just not, it doesn't work for your schedule to be able to make those kind of things happen, to have those meetings with the land managers at 10 o'clock in the morning. But even a part time employee bringing someone on that can then start to develop that, that, you know, that, that connectivity and open, really open that communication with some of these land managers is going to have an immediate impact on what an organization is able to do and how they're able to serve their community. Why do you think some other clubs struggle with, with making that transition to, to bringing on paid staff? I think a lot of it has to do with just current um, funding sources and revenue, you know, and funding streams in the sense that people like to fund stuff, right? People want their name on stuff, but it's, it's, it can be challenging to find people or entities out there to fund people. But they are out there. There are people that, and there are foundations and there are groups that absolutely understand and recognize the value of what employees can mean to a nonprofit. 
it just takes a little work probably to find some of that, right? We started this and, you know, we, this was something that we started in 2015 and it took us two years to secure the funding to make this happen, but it can be done and they are out there that the value is there. You know, sometimes it can be really hard, you know, accountability. It's hard to, the measurables that come with it are some of the struggles, but I promise that was, <laughs> it doesn't take very long at all to start to see you know, the difference that those people can make for an organization and, the, you know, to be able to articulate that is really quite easy. And it's not, we're not selling t-shirts, you know, it's not like we're putting a dollar value. It's like, oh, we've generated X amount of dollars in this sale. It's, it's not that at all, but the impact and being able to articulate that impact, if you can do that, then they just, everyone, they jump on board. What's the club doing to celebrate its 20 years? Well, man, we, <laughs> I think we kicked it off with the challenge this year. Um, we had close to 500 riders. By all accounts, we think it was the, probably the single largest gathering of mountain bikers in the Ozarks ever. And it's not like anyone's keeping up with those numbers, but we feel pretty comfortable saying that's probably the biggest we've done. Um, that was a great way to kick off the celebration. We were able to bring some leaders together over the, you know, that had been a big part of the organization for the first 20 years, really kind of highlight some of that stuff. But we're really going a, a step above. So as an organization, we're helping foster the growth of the Arkansas Mountain Bike Hall of Honor, which is coming hopefully later this year, um, recognizing 30 years of mountain biking in Arkansas. And on top of that, we're also we're creating a weekend celebration, um, recognizing 20 years of trail advocacy, volunteer trail advocacy here in the Arkansas Ozarks. And that's coming later this year. It's going to be a full weekend of social, live music, bands, bike riding and then really kind of highlighted with a with a gala type setting that's going to create a great opportunity for us to tell the story of Arkansas mountain biking in kind of a fun way and at the same time really kind of highlight those individuals that have made such a huge difference for our Kansans for the last 30 years. Awesome. Well, Brandon, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Brent, appreciate it. Thank you. Since my interview with Brandon, they've experienced some major flooding. Brandon mentioned that it's been amazing to see the community really take charge and maintain any damage. All I can say is keep up the great work. Like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. You can also send me an email or audio file to FrontlinesMTB at gmail.com. Don't forget to support the show via PayPal. You can find a link in the show notes, as well as links to the Ozark off-road cyclists. Next episode, my guest will be Ziv Stamper. He'll be sharing a story of how Jewish and Palestinian riders met on a regular basis, despite cultural differences and surrounding nationalism. Very excited to bring you that episode. If you want to get your questions in for episode 21 about branding, marketing, and public relations, you have a week left. Get them in by the end of June, and I'll include them with my discussion with the marketing chairperson of the Minnesota Off-Road Cyclists, Brandon Gallagher-Watson. And once again, music is by Lee Rosevere, production notes by Jennifer Pride. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening, and happy trails.